Super Talk Mississippi media production. Whether you're looking to start a career with no student loans or change careers to land one of the happiest jobs in the world, yep, that's construction, Build Mississippi can help. Visit buildmississippi.com to learn why a career in the trades deserves another look. buildmississippi.com. Your future is waiting. What's up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, January, what, 8th, 9th, something like that? Who cares? It is the 8th of January today. Gotcha. Uh, the reason I knew that is because the title game's on the 13th, so I subtracted seven and then added two because it's <laughs> Wednesday. So that is, uh, that is how I got my dates. But if you listen to this podcast, fumbling around for dates is nothing new. We uh, got a decent bit to talk about today. Old Miss showed up for a basketball game last night at least uh at least physically uh everything else was uh not great they lost to texas a&m 57 47 one of the worst basketball games i've watched in a while uh that's saying something because uh college hoops produces a lot of terrible games at least on the eyes uh but we'll get into that some that's a catastrophic loss for them from a resume standpoint though with the brand of basketball they're playing it may not end up mattering uh, state might have a football coach. It appears they're finalizing a, or I say finalizing. I, we'll get to that in a second because I do have some questions about that. Uh, there's interest between state and Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, get into yeah, that. Yeah, Aaron Suttles reported that, which means it's regal. No, no, no. I, I got that. I, uh, but I, I woke up on the, what, whatever. We can start there. I don't care. I mean, there's no. Sure. Hey, I show. mean, it, it, every Ole Miss fan I've spoken to in the last 24 hours has asked about that before basketball. So Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm sure for Ole Miss fans, basketball is probably not uh, something that is uh, they're just dying to hear or have content injected into their veins about. Um, so, But the question I had, so State, Mississippi State appears to be uh, at least very seriously interested in former USC and Washington head coach Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, went back to Alabama after being an analyst. So he was an analyst at Alabama after his career kind of got derailed. Uh, and then was the, if I'm not mistaken, was the OC for the national title game when Kiffin got fired. Is that wrong? I don't remember. Kiffin, Kiffin didn't finish out that thing, that playoff uh Game. I think Sark called plays in that title game against Georgia. I could be wrong about yes, that. You are right because Nick Saban got pissed off because, well, I don't know that for sure. It just. He um, did. Lane was double dipping and it took just the wasn't FAU working. Job and yeah, and they, they claimed that BS. They were winning the title either way. Yeah. So he calls plays. Then he becomes the offensive coordinator of Dan Quinn's Atlanta Falcons. And then he came back this year, I believe, and was the offensive coordinator in his second stint at Alabama. Anyway, um, I, I guess so. Let's start here. I guess the questions I have about this is Aaron Suttles reports there's mutual interest on both sides. No reason to doubt that. That guy's plugged in. Alabama beat reporter, The Athletic, does radio there, covered Alabama a long time. But for someone who did not get on Twitter and went to bed last night uh, after I was done writing about the Ole Miss game, but uh, by the way, if you want to read about that, you can read about it at supertalk.fm. Some thoughts on why they're so bad offensively, um, you know, bench non-existent, all that stuff. You can read about it there if you enjoy being miserable. But anyway, I, I didn't look at anything else last night, really. 
and I open up social media this morning as I'm getting ready for an interview, and people are talking about it as if it's done. And so naturally what I do is I search Steve Sarkeesian, Mississippi State, and the only place where I'm seeing it reported as them finalizing a hire is some freelance guy who I scrolled in and did about two minutes research and had already been wrong twice this week. So this kid is clearly just guessing. Has it actually been reported that this is happening, I guess is what no. I'm asking. I don't doubt the no. athletic report at all. Uh, no, and that subtles all he said was there is mutual interest and in that if Mississippi State makes uh, an appropriate offer, he will likely take it. Now, that just that, that's one side. And don't forget, Mississippi State has a unique situation here because there's a reason Steve Sarkeesian is the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and there's a reason that he was fired at Southern Cal. They have to vet him, and John Cohen has to make sure that he, when he just fired a coach for internal disciplinary issues, he's not going to hire a guy that lost his job because of personal disciplinary issues, if you want to call it that. So um, it, it sounds like that's what's going on right now. Is I mean, maybe Cohen's talking to a couple of other candidates. I I mean, I believe that he is still kicking the tires on Todd Grantham in one way or another. I think that. Um, when somebody like Ross Dellinger says Mike Leach is in play, and even though uh, Ross Dellinger's been discredited as a keyboard cowboy just out to get Mississippi State, uh, when he says somebody like Mike Leach is uh, potential, maybe John Cohen's kicked the tires there as well. But uh, that's the thing with Sark is they've got to be sure because they just fired a guy not necessarily because of football reasons, although uh, underachieving didn't help, they fired him because his program was losing control. And yeah, and to real quick to add ahead. some color to your point, for those of you that may not know, and I imagine most people know, Steve Sarkeesian was head coach for about a year and a half at USC, and he was fired. Was it midseason? I, but he 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 battled alcohol issues, and he uh, I believe it was kind of the final straw. He was uh, drunk at a booster event. I don't say that like flippantly to be funny, because anyone uh, it seemed it would seem to be discovered then he had some. Uh, like a very serious alcohol uh, you know, abuse issue. And uh, I believe... Well, and then stories came out after the fact that uh, assistants um, thought that he was intoxicated during games and were, like, kind of pushing him out of team huddles because he was incoherent. Yeah. And so, obviously, uh, I, I have some thoughts on that. I'll get to that <laughs> in a second. But just adding some color to that, to what you were saying when you are talking about the discipline thing... That is what that is. He was fired from USC, uh, I believe went into uh, some kind of uh, treatment program. And at least since then, it seems to be kind of gotten everything together, gotten all of that cleared up. Um, and, you know, which is kind of, a, I mean, obviously very serious issue. It's a daily struggle, but appears to kind of have gotten things back on track. Gets the analyst job at Alabama as I rehashed, you know, OC's title game, Atlanta Falcons back to everything. So it seems like things are kind of on the upswing for him, which, you know, for any person that struggles with something like that, that's great. But again, for starters, I was just kind of adding color to what you're talking about with like, you know, disciplinary issues and kind of personal things. Sure. And I guess the only concern I would have uh, if I were Mississippi State, because, well, I mean, I think it's a general consensus that he's a good football coach. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons, the year he got fired, their points per game average went down by 10 points. But if you look at their offensive numbers, um, they were good. They, they couldn't stop anybody, and they couldn't score in the red zone. But, I mean, everywhere he's been, even at Southern Cal when he was 
doing all of that. He's a good football coach. The problem or the concern I would have is he has yet to run a program of his own since. He was in the NFL where you don't have to recruit kids. You're the offensive coordinator, so you never have to meet with the media. Everything is very controlled. And then he was at Alabama where you are not allowed to speak to the media unless you are Nick Saban. So this is going to be his first time since Southern Cal of being the guy in charge. And then recruiting as well. Even though he's been at Alabama, recruiting in this region of the country, he doesn't really have any ties here. Uh, But as far as his ability to coach football and considering the other options on the table, I think that's about as good as you can get for Mississippi State right now. Like, Todd Grantham would scare me to death, man. I know he's a good defensive coordinator or whatever, um, but I would hate that hire if I were them uh, far more than I would hate a Sarkeesian hire. Yeah, that's what that's where I kind of landed as well when I kind of digested this news this morning. Is that if I were someone that were invested in Mississippi State, like at this point in the game, you fired the you fired your coach at a very weird time, honestly a very bad time. I'm not saying it's the wrong move, but yeah, I mean it came at a strange time. If this is who you end up with, a guy that won seven eight games a year at Washington, it's not like the Washington of Jake Browning and all that. They were terrible when he uh, when he was hired. He inherited a terrible program, and it wasn't bad at USD, but never really got started before. As we mentioned, some some personal struggles kind of derailed that uh, before and before it ever really got started. So, if this is who you end up with, you at least have a guy that's proven he's a he wins at Division One college football programs. Whereas it seems like at that point, after having Joe Judge kind of swept out um, from under you by an NFL team. There seems to be much worse places to land. I, I, I mean, everything else aside, I wouldn't hate this hire in a vacuum. Like, it seemed yeah. pretty good. I mean, he's a good play caller. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, Napier would have been maybe not the safest one, but the one that your fans would have been most excited about. And, it, I mean, it certainly sounds like that ship has sailed. Uh, and if that is indeed the case, um, maybe we should just start listening to people when uh, – it, reporters that have national platforms for a reason, uh, maybe we should, you know, believe what they say. But I guess that's a conversation for a different day, maybe even a different show. I mean, Ross um, Dellinger was the best beat reporter in the country, uh, arguably, when he was at covering LSU. Like, I mean, it's it's, and he's a Mississippi State alum. Like, that's what. Sorry, I, I'm going down a rabbit hole that. Maybe we don't need to go down, but discrediting an alum of your school because he's reporting on your coaching search because nobody else will, um, that's not grounds for discreditation. It's a shame. I mean, it goes back to the whole training the media thing and all that. It, it's a bizarre, bizarre setup over there. I would, I, all I'll say about it before, because I could make plenty of smart-ass remarks, but I'm just going to say it is not that way everywhere. It's very, very bizarre um, over there. But the point being, like all things said, I, I wouldn't hate this hire. I think this is a good hire. I think he's he's a grown up that knows how to run a college football program. You know, the, uh, will it work? I don't know. I thought Joe Moorhead was a good hire. So like you just never. But really Rippy, it was a good hire. Yeah, exactly. That, that's this what, goes back to the whiff bad hire theory. It was a whiff. It wasn't a bad hire. And same with this. It may it may it may or may not work. But I think this is a good hire if it happens. Yeah, I agree completely. And I. Much better than than a Grantham or 
I think even better than Mike Leach. We love Mike Leach, and Mike Leach being in our state would be great for us in Super Talk and all of that good stuff. It'd be great. Um, and he's done extremely well at places that are really hard to win. That being said, recruiting and the lack thereof would terrify me. And his inability to beat the best teams on his schedule ever would terrify me. Um, I, I don't know if I would like it if I were a Mississippi State fan. I know they would rally behind it because he's goofy and we would love it on the show. But as far as like actually getting him to coach football here, I don't know if it would work. I don't think I would like it if I were a, a State fan or an Ole Miss fan if it, if it were to ever happen. Well, yeah, that's what I was kind of cautioning old Miss people, both in seventeen and his name wasn't real. I mean, he was never in it was never real this year in nine in nineteen, but like it was floated out there amongst, I guess, message board fodder and talking points or uh, you know social media talking points, whatever. The thing I'd caution about that, and really just any kind of big time job, is that the goofiness is cool when they're winning, but it's such a crazed fan base. I don't mean that in a bad way. It put like Pac-12 football very different than SEC football in terms of interest, fan base, you know, money invested in all that. All of that works, but again, as an example, I always go back to when you're four and seven and you lost a home game to like I guess in Ole Miss's case, like Vanderbilt or something, and he's talking about mascots fighting one another. That's probably not going to sit well with I don't know Lane Train Reb sixty nine on the message board. Like it's just <laughs> that kind of stuff has like there's a time and place for all of that, and I think Mike Leach is perfect for a place like Washington State, who you know, I mean, look. It, it, I, I don't know as much worry about the recruiting aspect of it because if that kid can, re- if that guy can recruit okay to Pullman, Washington, he would figure out decently in Mississippi. But some I mean, personalities matter, as I think you probably learned from Mississippi State's last coaching, uh, 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 I guess, whiff is the word I keep going back to. Is that's personalities matter. So I don't know Sark. I don't know really much about him, but at least from he checks most of the boxes, and I think that's the best you can ask for given the timing of this. And you just better make it, sure your background. He clears the background check. I mean, that, yeah, that's the thing. You've got to be yeah. sure. I mean, if this ends up happening, and I'm John Cohen at the end of the day, I'm probably sitting in my chair with a cold beer, thinking, "Okay, disaster averted. This is this this worked out okay." Yeah, people would. And now, if it's Todd Grantham, the the exact opposite happens. People are furious. So you don't think state people would get behind Todd Grantham? There is a faction of every fan base in every program in the country that will always get behind and support any hire. I mean, Matt Luke, at the end of the day, still had people that would have died for him as long as he was the head coach at Ole Miss. And I think Mississippi State will have the same thing. But firing Moorhead, going through all this to hire a journeyman defensive coordinator with temperament issues on the sidelines – I don't know. I, I don't think I would, especially going from Billy Napier, this hot up-and-coming name, to Joe Judge, who got hired by an NFL team who you were, I mean, prepared to welcome as your new head coach, and then ending up with that guy would be uh, um, a significant de- decrease in quality, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that uh, that certainly makes sense. Uh Got a couple other thoughts on that in the SEC West as a whole, but first we'll take a break and tell you the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Appreciate Greg sponsoring the podcast. Go see him. It's the best place in Oxford by far to get meat. Six-ounce Lane Kiffin 
Uh, bacon wrap filet for 10 bucks. Keith Carter has got the eight ounce uh, bacon wrap filet, uh, 15 bucks. I believe I was saying that backwards for a while. And then I checked Greg's uh, ad listings the other day. And I was like, yeah, I think I said that backwards for two weeks. But all kinds of specials going on over there. Daily plate lunches. Uh, you can go over there, get some lunch, then figure out what you want to throw on the grill later. But uh, go let Greg help you decide what you want to throw on the grill. They've got sausages, all kinds of different stuff over there. Go check it out. Best place in Mississippi by far to get meat. Every time he's posting photos of stuff on there, it looks delicious. I am going to get Greg on this week to make the picks. I've lied to the people for at least like two weeks on that. Uh, we'll have Greg on for Mailbag Friday and run through his division round picks, get his national title game pick, all of that jazz so you can actually make money instead of fading us and hoping we are wrong, which we actually were pretty good last week. So anyway, always... Yeah, University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Uh, he's the best. We appreciate him sponsoring the show. Uh, another thing I had thought of, if this happens, and this is going to be funny when because these things are never sure things, we're going to put this thing out, and it's going to end up being like Sark is taking his name out of it. And I'm like, well, great. That was a good 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> but just to say this happens, your SEC West coaching lineup is now Ed Orgeron, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Gus Malzahn, Sam Pittman, Steve Sarkeesian, and Lane Kiffin. Uh, I guess I'll start. One of these things is not like the others. Poor Arkansas. Oh, oh my God. I know. And, well, I mean, you take made the five out of the six, and it's pretty maybe solid. Help, but yeah. <laughs> I, man, that just feels so awful. On its surface, it it feels exact. I mean, you pointed it out first. It feels like Matt Luke, offensive line coach, journeyman offensive line coach, who just loves your school and accepted their job, Rippy, without knowing how much they were going to pay him. Just said yes. Didn't even speak about financial compensation. See, but there's a time and a place for Matt Luke. Matt Luke would have been good. Like, and I'm, I'm putting Sam Pittman in the same cookie-cutter mold. No, I'm just saying, like, if you're going to make that kind of hire, like, isn't it after Petrino and all of that? And, like, if he'd been interim like hire. Cleanup hire. Yeah, exactly. But you just went 2-10, and 2-10, and ten, you know, after firing. I, 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 I don't get this. I mean, I, I don't I mean, do you see any world, and I could be wrong, in, you know, two and a half years or whatever, and that, that's fine. I hope the guy does well. But is there any realistic world where – Sam Pittman is competing in the SEC West against this current roster of coaches. I, I just don't see it. I mean, I, I remember the no day chance. Matt Luke got hired. I asked him, uh, this is actually kind of a funny story. Jimbo Fisher, the news first broke out of some place, I believe in Tallahassee that Jimbo Fisher was leaving to take the, uh, the uh, Texas A&M job. And I saw it pop on my computer and asked Matt Luke about coaching in the SEC West. Now that Jimbo Fisher has been added and apparently that was not finalized yet. Somebody jumped the gun on that report. And Jimmy Sexton was actually in Luke's press conference and did not take very kindly to the question. So I uh, had that going for me. Um, but Congrats, point, man. Yeah. So point, uh, point being, uh, I remember asking about how tough that would be. And, of course, I mean, with all due respect, you kind of saw how it worked out. I know some of it, you know, it wasn't all bad from a recruiting aspect and things like that. But it's tough. And uh, you just wonder, like, a lot, some like not all of these guys in the, are going to succeed, and I'm not necessarily outside of Saban. Saban's going to do what he does, 
it'll be interesting to see what LSU does uh, once Joe Burrow leaves. But I have to think with the stability they have, Ed really just kind of has it rolling. Like this Jimbo, Sark, Kiffin, Gus pool, like at least two of these guys are getting canned in the next couple of years because it simply just doesn't work, right? I mean, that's just simple math. Yeah, somebody has to finish last. Exactly. Like someone's getting fired and it's not going to work out. And it's going to be fascinating to watch who it is because I generally have no no clue. So, I, obviously, I think we both think it's going to be Sam Pittman. Um, I'm not, but I'm, I, I'm, 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 that a give, I, I'm saying that's a given. I think that's right, easy. So, but I, I'm saying two in addition, like him, throw him out. I think there's two amongst the four I just named, at least. That aren't going to work, and it's it's I going. Think to Gus's days are numbered, even though it's not particularly fair. I've been a Gus defender for a while. I think his days are numbered because they lost a lot on their really good defense. I mean, he's got Chad Morris now as his offensive coordinator, um, even though he called some plays. Still, um, it feels like they're going to roll out another eight and four, and then lose to Alabama, and then the people are going to be done. Yeah, I mean, next year's a big year for him because you know. To his credit, this was I would say this was a good year for Auburn given that they have an 18-year-old playing quarterback. You know, if they can kind of replace some stuff on the defensive line, they got a chance to be really good, but to your point. And they recruit like, well enough to do it. Right. And he's never would I I hate to give Clay Travis credit for much, but he did bring up a good point. The couple of times that he has beaten Alabama, they've never really used it to spring what well, he's beaten Alabama three times now. They they've always lost their next game. Like, he's never taken advantage of beating them and have it springboard into actually any real momentum. I guess in his first year in 12, or what was it? 12 13, the kick six, they did go to the national title game. But they, I mean, other than that, the last two times he's beaten them, they haven't really used it to springboard into actually real momentum. So next year's got to be a year where he beats, you know, LSU, Alabama, maybe both. I don't know. Georgia, I mean, two out of the three he's got to beat and at least come dangerously close to winning the last if he doesn't. But, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State have a little bit different expectations, so I'm just curious about this. I mean, what if Jimbo Fisher kind of goes 8-4, and 8-4 and four the next two years? You put a lot of money in that guy to win eight games a year. And I think that's entirely possible, by the way. Something went likely. wrong Is at the really end of his time. Them? Is he really beating these guys on a regular basis? Like you say, entirely possible. It seems likely to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they're recruiting well enough. Kellen Mond has not improved at all, at all, in two seasons. And Florida State has more coaching turnover because he left behind a dumpster fire. I know he won a national championship, but that was now seven years ago. I'm with you. I I mean, with the way LSU was set up and what they're providing for Ed Orgeron, um, not beating them consistently, as long as Nick Saban's in Tuscaloosa, n- uh, not beating Alabama consistently at all. I-, I don't know where it's coming from. They return a bunch. I mean, next year is put up or shut up for them, but still, it, it feels like a team that's going to lose two or three games somewhere along the way, and that's kind of what Kevin Sumlin was giving you. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what Kevin Sumlin was giving you. It just was a least sexy version. But, I mean, again, this is a guy that has won a national title, so I, I guess I can't discount the fact that he knows how to coach. It's just going to be fascinating to see how the SEC West shakes out over the next three to four years because you've got a lot of high pro. I would say in terms of names, you've got the most high-profile coaches maybe the league's ever – or that division 
has ever had. And not all of not all six of these dudes are going to succeed and have you know, their fan bases and athletic administrations happy with them over the next half decade. It's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. Uh, I guess one of the things like Alabama's kind of in a weird spot. They don't have a quarterback. They're losing a decent bit to the draft, though. They bring back a couple of receivers and a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball. I'm curious as to, like, will they actually take a step back? Because I'm not doing the whole Colin Cowherd, Gus Malzahn's going to start beating you type of deal after 2012. But it doesn't feel like Alabama is as, I guess, feared maybe as they once were. Uh, it seemed to be different this year. I mean, even I mean, they beat the living hell out of Ole Miss uh, in that game in Tuscaloosa. But I was there that day seeing Ole Miss move the football on them early in the game and it not just be a complete and total farce from the opening snap was weird. I, I mean, I, I know they, they had a, a lot more injuries and, and some younger guys playing that they normally aren't accustomed to on defense, but it just seems like with Clemson doing what they're doing, it's kind of lost a little bit of luster. I don't think it's over by any means, but they, they feel human for the first time in a while. They do, and now that we've said that, they'll go 12-0 and and win the title next year. I, I, I liked Mac Jones, I think, even though – he kept them in and also cost them the Auburn game with his two pick sixes. But he played well in that one, and he played well against a Michigan team that is not uh, – okay, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound stupid because of what they did against Ohio State and Wisconsin, but Michigan's not bad defensively. And he looked good against them as well. I mean, efficient, uh, accurate throwing the ball down the field. So maybe they do have their heir apparent to Tua. He's just not as exciting. Uh, certainly looked good, though. If Tua would have come back, he'd have been a hot name in the transfer portal. Uh, I imagine. I think even though he was a redshirt sophomore, uh, I was told that he had graduated already or could have graduated at the end of this semester or something like that. Anyway, he would have uh, probably left and people would have sought after him hard, Is at least is what I was told by somebody that works in college athletics at a low level. Well, that still may happen, right? Because they do have a five-star kid coming in. Or if uh, Talia Tagovailoa wins that gig, he could still transfer as a grad transfer, couldn't he? He could. And uh, I, I just – there's something – Tua's slightly undersized, and we've learned in the NFL that doesn't really matter. I mean, look at Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, right? Uh, being six foot five doesn't matter in the NFL as long as you have the right system that, that your quarterback can play in or the quarterback's just good enough. Tua's little brother is significantly smaller than him. And Tua's undersized. Yeah, I wonder how tall Talia is. They list him at 5'11". Bullshit. He's 5'11". So that's actually getting into, like, really short territory. Yeah. I mean, uh, here, I'll, I'll at some point send you a picture um, so you can see the, the difference between the two. My, uh... I pointed this out in a commercial yesterday during the radio show. My guy, uh, Lee Steinberg, signed Tua. So he's got Mahomes and Tua. The man's back on the up and up. They should make a Jerry Maguire, too. Um, Get him back on the podcast, man. Yeah, no, no kidding. I might have to hit old Lee up. But uh, that's uh, – so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that quarterback situation plays its way out. But anyway, with the Stark hiring, I just found it interesting that there is going to be a, a an all-name team – uh, in terms of just who's coaching the SEC West over the next, well, I guess at least year. I guess you can't really go past much this year because you don't know what's going to happen with Gus. Crazier things have happened elsewhere. 
But yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because it's not always going to work out and there's going to be some high-profile coach that ends up getting canned and this is going to be a flop. I just don't know who it is, and I'm interested to find out. Um, well, guess, what do you think about Lane Kiffin and that fit as far as the ability to coach and, and run a program? Because, uh, I mean, he is a bit of a risk. We talked about it. I, I know everybody and their brother thinks it's a home run hire because that's exactly what it is, all things considered, coming off of a 4-8 and eight season firing your coach after two years, even though I think most people agree that it was the the right move, especially considering how well Keith conducted the coaching search. But it still is a risk. Where do you think he fits in the SEC West as far as coaching and coaching ability and running a program? Well, you talk about fit, and I know you already said, you. I mean, we agree on that. It's the perfect fit. I mean, he is, he's, if you, I mean, I can say this is someone in the world, man. Yeah. I mean, if you Google Ole Miss football coach and what that's supposed to look like in a dictionary, I mean, there, there's your guy. Uh, It'll be interesting. He he seems to be running. I mean, he's, he's, he put together, you know, love, hate Durkin thing, whatever. He's putting together a staff that's going to try to establish a national footprint. I mean, he's got two former national recruiters of the year. Like he's got a staff that is going to recruit its ass off. Um, and so I do think in some ways they'll be able to establish a little bit of a national footprint. I know that sounds kind of crazy to say, but I just think with the guys he's hired and the name recognition he brings, that is going to be the case. What's going to be interesting is in Conference USA, he seemed to recruit circles around most of those guys, at least in terms of evaluating talent and all of that. So when he doesn't have the best talent, how does that work out for him? Uh, because he's not going to have the best talent at Ole Miss. Even if he recruits very well, he's just not. I mean, you've got Alabama, Auburn, LSU in your same division. So when that line is I think he can recruit to Auburn's level. I I think he can get around top 15, top, you know, down to eight classes relatively consistently. I think he can pull that off. But but we're talking equally. Like he had, to me, me, at least watching, and I I don't, to be completely honest I, I haven't pulled up conference usa recruiting rankings to make sure this is the case but he seemed to have a bunch more talent than the teams he played in conference usa and that's half the battle it's, it's not knocking his coaching ability for it i'm just saying when the margins thinner or when you don't have as much talent can he win games like can, can he beat good teams and earn quality wins um so th- that part of it will be interesting to me I think it's a good fit, but if you told me in three years it didn't work out, I wouldn't necessarily be shocked either because, again, it is a risk and it's Lane Kiffin. But I think he's got as good a shot as any of these other guys to succeed, and he certainly got the uh, fan support and momentum behind it. And, hey, don't look now, but his uh, daunting opening game uh, season opener next year, Baylor just brought in the worst recruiting class in the Big 12 and now does not have a head coach. So (laughs) that is – Yesterday was a quiet victory for Mr. Kiffin, even though that's not really like what was in the news cycle. Yeah. So for for reference, uh, the 2019 class for FAU was number one in the Conference USA. The 2018 class was number nine in the Conference USA. 2017 class was number three. 2016 was, let's see. What the hell happened uh, in that ninth place class? I don't know. 15 was and don't forget they went 3 and 9 in three consecutive years before he took over and then he won the conference championship. In 2015 they were the, the second 
uh, highest ranked recruiting class. But at that level, I mean, it certainly kind of feels like it's all the same. I mean, I'm looking at the 2015 class right now, and where FAU was number two. They signed 27 guys. Uh, Marshall was number one with 26. Marshall signed three or 11 three stars. Florida Atlantic nine. Nobody in the conference had any four or five star. Most of them just had a handful of three stars. Like the the recruiting difference between the two, their star average is all basically the same. It looks like the talent is, for the most part, evenly distributed, although the state of Florida's got more hidden talent than the state of uh, West Virginia, for example. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's just going to be interesting when the margins thinner. So I, I guess he didn't have – I guess I have to reach, reach course on that. He didn't have demonstrably more talent than all of those other schools. I guess he did seemingly have more than, than most of them. But yeah, again, when, when you're fair. when you're playing with less talent, demonstrably less talent than some of the teams you're playing, you know, two, three, four times a year, which is going to be the case here uh, at least immediately, and I think probably uh, still fairly frequently throughout his tenure here. How does uh how, how does that end up? And that, that was, I guess, really what kind of it boils down to what I was trying to get to as far as my point. When he's not as talented as the other side, how is he going to account for that? Because I'm not sure there's ever been a time in his coaching career where that has been the case. I mean, even through sanctions, they recruited pretty well, really well at USC. And he had two top 15 classes at Tennessee, did he not? Even though he only coached one season, or one, at least one. Yeah, he did. Um, so, and probably took over a roster that wasn't ready to compete and did win seven games his first year there, including what should have been a win in Tuscaloosa. Um, the, the famous Mount Cody block is, is what did him in there. But um, that's a really good point. And... Uh, by and large, he doesn't need to beat teams that he's not better than this year. I mean, that was Ole Miss's problem last year, is they lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost to. Uh, I mean, he needs to – they can beat Baylor now. I think there's more talent in Oxford than there is in Waco, and now they're replacing the probably the best coach in program history. Um, it, like, they should be able to beat Mississippi State this year and Vanderbilt and the other three non-conference games – and there's you a bowl game, Arkansas being another one. Like, that's all they have to do to first keep people satisfied and engaged and recruit at the level that it takes for you to have comparable talent to the top teams in the West. That's all he needs to do this year is just get to six, however you can. Now you're going – if this ends up happening, you're going to have two guys from California – coaching the Egg Bowl, who are also close friends. That's not going to line up with the battle of ideals and some people's narratives about what a terrible rivalry it is and how it means so much. I, that's that's you, going to got drive some people crazy. That could not give any less of a shit. And apparently, I, I don't, you have to confirm this for me, apparently they're buddies. No, they are close friends. They are. I mean, the, you, they were so they're, they're this friends. Was, this was Pete Carroll's dudes. These were Pete Carroll's dudes coming up. I don't. I mean, it sounds weird to say they were Pete Carroll's kids, but these these guys were raised by Pete Carroll. Like the, these these they're dudes. They still talk. They're still friends. Like the, the, and now they're coaching at opposite schools in Mississippi. Uh, I just like to have it. Like I imagine if they. I don't know if they vacation together, but in my mind they vacation together and sip wine and talk about how weird Mississippi is in the coming months. So uh, that I'm just gonna keep that mental picture uh. in my head. But like, yeah, not I can't not wait exactly. Until going Sarkeesian to be, asked about the egg bowl, and he goes, "What?" <laughs> I, 
I could also see the them just kind of friendly prodding each other and kind of subtly talking shit and taking jabs at each other, talking oh, about yeah. each and other it's though. It's going to be interpreted schools. as something that it's not too. You know that. Yeah, because it's going to be in good faith in terms. Whereas Mullen and Freeze, you could just tell did not like each other. You could sense the animosity. I'm going to find that fascinating because let me tell you, if anyone has any doubt, two dudes from California that have both been the head coach at USC. One's called, I both have worked in the NFL. Do not give a flying shit about that stupid looking egg trophy. Just don't care. Uh, obviously they don't need to win their game for, they need to win. They understand the, probably the importance of winning that game for uh, job security and purposes like that. But like that, they, they're not buying into, to, to all of the nonsense. I would say that often accompanies it. And that is going to be very, very funny to watch play out if this is indeed the case, but yeah, kind of final thought on that. I, I I think it's a good hire for Mississippi State if it happens. I, You could have ended up with a lot worse. And when the judge thing, kind of the plug got pulled uh, very late in the process, that thing could have gotten squirrely. And if you land this, it, it didn't. I think it would be mission accomplished. Tend to agree. And it, what's funny is, I guess I'm an idiot because the Giants hired him. I just, when people were talking about judge, I kept thinking, yeah. That seems like an unnecessary risk when there's other candidates out there. A 37-year-old special teams coach. Uh, but he was the prodigal son, so I guess everybody wanted him. I was just surprised that uh, everybody looked at him as the guy that would change the face of the program. Uh, but then the Giants hired him, so I guess the joke's on me. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, man. And I don't understand NFL coaching things. I know there was a lot of talk in NFL or on national talk shows about the Rooney rule being broken. I don't really want to get into that, but it is kind of interesting, the, the, that guy getting that type of job. I'm not saying it has anything to do with that, but just adding on to your point, I think that is a little bit surprising that he gets that gig. I mean, that was kind of the shocker of the NFL coaching season. Um, anyway, but wrapping up, we'll get into this Ole Miss game in a second. But for that, remind you again one more time to tell you to go LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. He's got the gambling locks. He's got all the meats. He's uh, steaks, custom cuts, whatever you want in there. Greg's got it. He's got all kinds of daily specials, plate lunches, sides, sausages, you name it. He's always experimenting with some kind of kooky type of sausage that ends up tasting awesome back there. Go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger, LB's Meat Market. He feeds the baseball team. He can feed you. Greg's got it going on there, so go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger, and he will make you rich on Friday. Um, so Ole Miss played a basketball game last night. Are you sure? And, man, I got in. So I was waiting on – I was supposed to do an interview last night when I got done with radio. I ended up waiting about an hour and a half, and it didn't pan out. So I pick up dinner, and I get home, and the game had already started, and Ole Miss was up 10-5 to 5, like very early on. And then literally for the first five minutes I was watching that game of game time, uh, Ole Miss didn't score. So I was like, I wonder how they got to 10. And just, I don't really know where to start with this, but I guess we'll go uh, big picture here. That's a horrendous loss. A&M was the worst, one of, the worst offensive team in major college basketball. In terms of all D1 out of 355 teams, they were 347th in points per game. They were a 24% three-point shooting team coming into this game for the season. That is the worst in college basketball. They, they shot 17% last night. They could not throw the ball in the ocean. I mean, this is a classic. You couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat. 
and they scored 30, 38 points in the second half. Ole Miss blew a 10-point halftime lead that was single-handedly accumulated by Brian Tyree. And Ole Miss is now saddled with an RPI 185 loss for right now. I'm sure that'll go up a little bit naturally. But point being, it's a terrible loss. They were the worst. I keep saying RPI. Net. He worst team in the Same net uh, by a long shot. By 62 spots over Vanderbilt, who was at 123 entering the night last night. And this is a horrible loss. I got to admit, I knew it was like, it was ugly, but when they got up 29-19, I was like, they're just A&M's literally not going to be able to score enough to get back into this game in the second half. Like, if Ole Miss, I was literally thinking, Ole Miss scores 20 points in the second half. They uh, they may win. the. I mean, the, that may be enough on its own, and it, it obviously was not. But, um, I mean, j- there's really no way to add it up. I mean, th- this was a abysmal loss. I was uh, fairly dumbfounded they actually lost this game. I figured with the str- it would be a rock fight with their struggles on the offensive end and in half-court offense, but I didn't actually figure A&M would be able to score enough to win the game. This, w- this was an abysmal defeat. Yeah, I, I don't know how much there is to add. I mean, I, I guess we could dig down deep into the analysis, but, I mean, it's the same thing we talked about after Wichita State, right? Is they just – and it's the activity on offense. I, who am I to question Kermit Davis? And I shouldn't, but it, it looks like – the offensive system is not conducive to scoring, and part of that is because they have guys that can't do it. But um, it just it feels like this they kind of harm themselves offensively. I mean, very little ball movement. Uh, ball sticks in Tyree and Schuler's hand a lot, and I guess, again, that's probably partially due to the fact that they don't have anybody else that can score. Uh, but the offense itself, aside from just the missed shots, it looks – painful uh, to watch not because they're missing shots because it doesn't look like it can create good shots if that makes sense yeah i mean to the untrained eye here for someone who played a year of private school high school basketball not to brag they run a lot of continuation stuff instead of quick hitting stuff to try to get guard shots because they really only have two consistent shot makers on the team and that's part of their problem or really a lot of times one and it's just not working. And, again, I don't know this to be true because, again, untrained eye here. But they don't really screen anybody. They're kind of a – like they miss – Luis Rodriguez is not going to solve their shot-making ability, but they miss him as a depth piece. They definitely miss his rebounding. And Luis Rodriguez, Los Angeles kid, not soft. He, he added an element of toughness and intangibles to that team even when he struggled offensively. Uh, they sorely miss right now. And I'm not saying Luis Rodriguez is going to come back and solve everything – but that's a long athletic wing piece that is going to play tough and is going to rebound and is probably the best overall defender on the team when healthy and when right. So I think they sorely miss him. But again, him coming back is not going to come close to solving all of their issues they have as a team right now. I mean, I wrote about it last night. The simplest way to put it is they have too many net zeros on the offensive end on the floor at any given time. It doesn't really matter what lineup he runs out there at a given time. They don't have any guys that make shots. I mean, K.J. Buffin did not score in 32 minutes last night. This team is not designed for that to even remotely be the case. You know, Blake Henson has really struggled since coming back. He had double digits, I think, in uh, right before Christmas against Southeastern Louisiana, but really hasn't been much of a factor since. And those are two guys that had really encouraging freshman season and you thought was going to take a leap this year. And that just hasn't happened. I mean, K.J. Buffin played really well in the team's first four or five games of the season. And has played well in spots since, but he struggled with foul trouble 
and against good competition, just hasn't played very well. And so that's been a big yeah, part of it. and they're so bad at, I mean, I guess you can call it the five. They don't really use a true center, but they're so bad at the five, too. I mean, C has looks okay at times, but, I mean, disappeared last night. Uh, they don't get much from call. Uh, I mean. He, he had strung together six straight games with double figures, though he was still a little bit of a light rebounder through some of those games. But to your point, last night just disappeared. He had three points, three rebounds from your starting five, man. That just can't really happen. No, uh, not at all, especially when you're struggling shooting. An, an offensive rebound here or there and a putback would have been really nice, but they, they just they can't do that. And particularly when the kid you're using to fill minutes behind him just looks totally lost. Sammy Hunter has looked completely lost this year. Um, you know, doesn't go up. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of touch around the rim, is not very physical, has a decent, like, kind of, mid-ranges jump shot and has a couple of okay offensive moves at times, but just really hasn't put it all together or looked comfortable um, at all. And that's another part of this. Like, I mean, people, people seem surprised with how bad it's gotten, but it's really not that complicated. I mean, you're, you're not getting good production from Henson and Buffett on a consistent basis. Devonte Shuler disappears for games at a time. And then your bench is non-existent. I mean, what what else do you have left? I mean, you saw that last night. All you have left is Bree and Tyree kind of losing his mind from the perimeter and keeping you in games. Like, like there's too many guys not contributing for this team to be good at all. I mean, like, like I, I guess when it all said done with, when you have that many guys that are net zeros, like losing to a team like that, I guess shouldn't be all that surprising. It's just, man, that it seemed like a culmination of everything that had gone wrong for them in the last month, kind of reared its head last night it, it was bad but yeah and generally speaking I mean last night was especially bad but dude college basketball is so freaking hard to watch I, I mean across the board I, I, <laughs> that was a perfect example though two teams that cannot score it's terrible and like the day before I watched one NBA game where both teams shot like 50 40 80 like shot makers, uh, creating space. I mean, even playing good defense at the end. And then I turn around and watch this college basketball game where one team was 30, 25, and 57, and the other was 39, 17, and then 84. But it, 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 the contrast, and I, you know, you like what you like, and who am I to tell you what you should or shouldn't like? But the people that say they prefer college basketball over the NBA, I think they just don't watch the other one because they don't have a team and they never see it. Because the difference in quality of play is like watching seven-year-old baseball and then going to see the Braves play the next day. I mean, the difference is that extreme. That and to the <coughs> to the untrained fan when you're tuning in on a casual Tuesday night NBA game and out of the hundred plus possessions in a game, you see some guy not rotate over and not stop a dunk or a layup. And you think they're not trying, but that's just the nature of playing 82 games. Like, trust me, they defend the good teams defend watch Paul George and Kawhi Leonard play defense in a fourth quarter. But like, well, that, and if you leave your man, they distribute the ball and he makes an open shot. Like you can't just leave your guy to get into the lane because if you do, um, it's an open perimeter shot, and they actually make those. Exactly. I mean, if you make mistakes, they are going to absolutely torch you on it. But I, I guess kind of centering it back to last night, the bottom line last night for Ole Miss is once that game started getting hairy and A&M started making shots, I mean, 
I guess before, real quick, before I get into that, the, the, just to kind of put in perspective how bad it was offensively for Ole Miss last night, Ole Miss played nine guys in the first half. Bree and Tyree made eight field goals. Ole Miss had three other players register a field goal in the first half, and it was all they all made one apiece. No one made multiple shots. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that's happened before, but uh, I am not sure I have seen that. I at least have not seen that in a uh, quite a long time. They had a they had a if you take out Blake, uh, you know, Devonte Shores layup to begin the second half last night. They had a stretch of 12 minutes of game action where they didn't have a field goal made by someone not named Brian Tyree. I mean, he could single handedly kept them in that game and willed them in that game. 26 points, 10 to 19 shooting, six to 13 from the uh, three point range. I mean, what was going to happen last night, what I was getting to, is when that game got squirrely, someone was going to have to make shots not named Tyree down the stretch because he was met with a trap and a double team every time he touched the basketball in the second half. Someone was going to have to get, make shots, and you got that from Schuler in the last six minutes. He ended up with 12 points on a very inefficient 5 of 18 shooting. But by that point, they were already down 6-7 points, and they couldn't get stops. I mean, they got absolutely murdered on the glass with second-chance points in the second half. They got out-rebounded 24-16. I mean, A&M was 3 of 17 from three-point range for the game, but to their credit, they were 3 of 7 in the second half. You know, they got to the line 12 more times than Ole Miss. They just kind of pushed them around a little bit. And that was, to me, offensive struggles aside, that part was alarming too. Is this team couldn't throw, hit water if they fell out of a boat. And you made them look like a pretty coherent basketball team on the offensive end in the second half. So yeah, I, I, that's about all I got for you on that. Like, I mean – there's not much it, else to say. I mean, it's like you said, it seems pretty cut and dry. It's simple. Um, they, they don't have anybody that can score. And when you have one player that can get you a bucket and they trap you and uh, you can't have anybody else do anything to remove the that option, the, the trap as an option or a double team as an option, then you're going to get beat every single night. Yeah, and so now they're 9-5. and five. You know, this is their first bad loss. To their credit, they didn't have any bad losses, as I think I pointed out on Monday's show. You know, that coming into this game, they didn't like every team they lost to is probably going to have their ticket punched and it will be dancing at Mark. Probably. Not entirely sure about Oklahoma State. I guess Penn State could teeter off, but, but in all likelihood. But this changes everything. And, you know, it, I'm not sure the whole resume thing is going to matter with the brand of basketball this team's playing. But if, if it does end up mattering, this is going to be a stunningly bad defeat on that resume and a real sore. But uh, I guess another thing I'll point out is Kermit Davis, good coach, good defensive coach. You know, this is a sport where you see teams reinvent themselves all the time. You see teams get hot. You see teams get cold. You can change a lot in a two-month span of an 18-game conference season. So I'm not going to completely write them off yet, but, I mean, it seems very unlikely they will get back into the tournament mix with the way they're playing. But that all of that aside, it will be interesting to see how they kind of try to reinvent themselves to be better in half-court offense. I know Kermit Davis talked about they've got to get the guy, guys shooting the basketball with confidence, and maybe that kind of speaks to what I was talking about earlier in terms of kind of like running some more quick hitters to get guys open shots quickly and kind of get it in your shot maker's hands as opposed to as much continuation-type sets. I don't know, but it will be interesting to watch to see how they kind of try to become a more in a more efficient offensive team on that end of the floor 
because what the the current level they're playing at consistently is is just not going to cut it. I mean, they, they may if they play like that on half court offense rest of the year, they they legitimately may go four and fourteen in league play. So yeah. I guess that's kind of what to watch for. They're a decent defensive team, but not nearly good enough to overcome what that is. So that's about in terms of what to watch for. Saturday, you get Arkansas at home. Arkansas's kind of overachieved so far under Musselman. Played some good teams, tough. Have a couple of good wins. That's about all I got for you. Yeah, and I guess we'll see what happens there. <laughs> um, that's about all I got for today. Did we miss anything else happen? I mean, you, you the NFL. No, no. There's not an NFL opening, right? Like the, they've they've all been closed. The Cleveland that. Browns. No, that's right. That's right. How could I forget that? As is tradition. Yeah, I mean. Jeez, what a mess. I mean, I don't know. Where are they going from there? I don't know where you go from there. Why don't I just throw the Brinks truck at Lincoln Riley and just see if you can run back the Oklahoma days? Yeah, or Josh McDaniels, maybe. I mean, see if he'll finally leave New England, even though it doesn't sound like he's going to. Coward made a good point on that. I was listening the other day. Like, he does, like, McDaniel does know if he really wants to be head coach again, it's got to it's gotta be a hit. Because if if he if he screws this up, he's he, he's he's toast. He's not getting a third job. So, yeah. do you really want that to be the Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield and all that dysfunction? Because when it comes down to it, the Browns are never actually going to be any different until they get a different owner. Like the one of the things that I think people don't necessarily realize in professional sports, you're, like, you're a reflection of your owner. Like it, it's nearly impossible to consistently overcome bad ownership. And yeah. Jimmy Haslam, who's the same guy that kind of run Tennessee football into the ground, terrible owner. And so I, I just don't see that franchise changing until it's under different ownership. That's fair. So I don't know. That's about all I've got for today, though. Um, we got into some different football stuff. We'll be back at it on Friday. We'll have mailbag Friday. I'm sure we'll get into some basketball. We'll definitely get into the NFC-AFC divisional round. Going to be an awesome weekend of football in that regard. Probably get into some national title stuff. Just I know we'll podcast on Monday before it, but – uh, it seems like that Thursday of this week is when that kind of starts get heating up. So unless you got anything else, I'm going to uh, get out of here. That's it, man. Cool. Well, I'll ride you one more time. Go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. You'll hear him on the LB's Pick'em for probably the second to last time this week because we'll have the division around. We'll pick the championship games. But, I mean, picking the Super Bowl doesn't count as a pick'em. It's only one game. So, uh we might have to reinvent the wheel in terms of the LB's pick once we get to basketball season. But we'll have him on Friday. Go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Appreciate you guys listening. If you like what you heard today, like and subscribe to the Rebel Report podcast, rate and review. We appreciate you guys listening. Tell all your friends about Mailbag Friday, and we'll be back on the People's Holiday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.